welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through full food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. And this week I'm with Russell Norman, the award-winning restaurateur, writer and broadcaster who brought Italy to the British High Street, first through Pulper, the book and chain of Venetian-style restaurants which gave us small plate food culture, and now Bruto, the Florentine Trattoria next to London's Smithfield Market. The, the essential Florentine experience of standing in the street with a Lampredotto roll with ladlefuls of salsa verde and uh, chili sauces is what people remember when they go to um, Florence and I think it's quite important, not just in culinary terms but in cultural terms. Bruto the book is about much more than the recipes of the restaurant. It's an ode to Florence where we find what Russell calls the ugly but beautiful food that the Tuscan capital is really all about. Not so long ago a Rough Guides or a Lonely Planet may have said that it's art that is its essence. But I asked Russell why food has become the only way to find your way to the heart of this Italian city. I think that, you know, the, the 20 regions of Italy and individual cities have a, have a great deal of pride when it comes to their cuisine and what makes them different and what makes them unique from the other 19 regions. Um, and Florence in Tuscany is, is no exception. Um, so when I first visited Florence, everybody said you have to have tripe, you have to eat lampredotto, you have to eat uh, bolito misto, uh, you have to have the uh, bistecca alla fiorentina. And so um, my, you know, my first experience of Florence was, was through those dishes and through the traditions, I suppose, the culinary t- traditions um, that define that particular city. So yes, you can go to the Uffizi, yes, you can go to the Accademia, you can see Michelangelo's David, um, you know, you can, you can explore the city through its other cultural aspects. But for me, Florence was very much about its, its food history and its food traditions and its culinary, um, history, I suppose. Um, and so <clears throat> subsequent visits to the city were, um, you know, were about exploring more of its food credentials and history um, and I you know I got, I got a great sense of its uh, of its cultural identity through food um, and continue to do so and, and yeah that was the um, that was the inspiration I suppose for for Bruto you know you've said so much there but actually unpacking it um, is it's about tasting the city isn't it it's, we had Julia Sagapaleggia on a couple of weeks back talking about Cucina Povera mm. and of course she's from Florence and she talks about Lampredotto and she talks a lot about offal and you know to a British listener yeah. there's a kind of a sense of oh my lord can you just explain why you have to stand in a street eating tripe to, you know with it all dripping down you and kind of somehow mm. mastering how to do that <laughs> delicately or giving that up completely and somehow that leads you on a liminal journey into somewhere deep inside the Italian soul you're right you can't do it delicately you stand you stand you stand in the street in front of a tripe stall um, there's one uh, that, that comes to mind immediately which is just outside the um, uh, Mercato Centrale and there's a sign on the tripe stall which says we can't cut your sandwich in half it will make a mess um, and you know this this is this is something that I discovered very early on it's it is messy it is street food you, you know you will get sort of a dribble of juice and um, salsa verde and and uh, chili sauce down your chin when you eat it but you know you just grab another napkin um, but the reason that it's it's an important experience and the reason that you know that Florentines love tripe um, 
in particular, but also, you know, other, um, you know, parts of the animal is because they have what we now describe, I suppose, as a, as a nose to tail philosophy. Nothing is wasted. Um, yes, you can, you know, you can, you can enjoy, um, a prime T-bone steak, um, cooked over charcoal with salt and possibly with a little olive oil, though that's a little bit controversial. Whether you use olive oil in Florence or, or not is, um, is still something I haven't quite worked out. Somebody told me once that the only two, um, uh, seasonings for a, a classic um, bistecca alla Fiorentina are salt and fire, and I, I love I love the idea I love the idea of, of fire being a, a seasoning, but but yeah. it is. But but when when it comes to tripe, yeah, it's you know there are four stomachs to the cow, and um, whereas in this country, you know it's it's very rare to see tripe um, because it's you know it's it's sort of it's it's put into um, you know into um, f- farm animals, um, food mixes, and so on. Um, but in Florence, it's it's revered because they waste nothing. And you mentioned you mentioned cucina povera, and um, you know this tradition doesn't just exist in Tuscany; it exists in all of the uh, all of the regions in in various forms. And it's about using everything and not wasting anything. So, you know, the number of recipes, for example, that I read in Tuscany and beyond that, you know, that, that call for stale bread, for example, um, gives you a very good indication that nothing's wasted. You know, the, 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 the bread from three or four days ago never goes in the bin, ever. Um, and it's the, you know, it's the same, it's the same with tripe, I suppose. It's the same philosophy. You, you waste nothing. Um, and Florentines have embraced that. Um, and made tripe their signature dish, I suppose. And yeah. as, as I said before, there, you know, there are four stomachs to the cow. Um, and Lampredotto is the fourth stomach, which is sort of crinkly and brown. The other three stomachs have different um, textures and colours. One of them looks like sort of honeycomb. Um, one of them is slightly scary and um, has lots of holes in, which is, you know, which is something that a lot of people uh, react negatively too because there's a condition called trypophobia <laughs> which which is which is the which is the fear of holes you know the sort of the sort of texture you get in coral for example yes. um or honeycomb anyway i digress so yes the the essential florentine experience of standing in the street with a lampredotto roll um with with, with ladlefuls of um salsa verde and uh, chili sauces um yeah is is what people remember when they go to um, Florence, and you know it's something that that you know I, I think is quite important. Not just not just in culinary terms, but in cultural terms. Well, I was going to say it's about you know a lot of people go to Florence to see the aesthetics. You know, when you go into the centre of the city, you cannot believe. I took my daughter there for her sixteenth birthday, and she just couldn't believe the the, the mm. look of the place. It just every mm. time you turned a corner, it was just like, oh my. Yeah. God, this is extraordinary. But I think mm. what you're saying is this this journey into the depths of the Italian soul, the Florentine soul, is about um, something much more. It's about understanding their relationship with their history, with their with poverty. Beauty is not skin deep, and it's about really accessing that. It's mm. interesting that restaurants and food should 
provide that role. You know, I'm thinking back to, you know, our very short relationship with food from the continent, as it were. You know, we haven't been going to Europe uh. as Brits for, you know, for very long. And perhaps when we first discovered Italian food, we felt there was a great distance to it. We've kind of closed that gap a little. We're much more food literate now. But this feels like a next step. It feels like almost you can't go to Florence without tasting its street food. It's mm. awful. Uh, is that a, is that just more education or is that a way of dividing foodies into super foodies and just food tourists? Uh, absolutely. So the first thing, I suppose, just, just working backwards, is that in the past, and, you know, in when I say in the past, I mean, in you know, within my lifetime, and even now, um, there's, there's, a, there's a sort of conception of Italian food that it's pizza, it's pasta, it's um, uh, vitello tonato, it's, um, uh, it's veal milanese, etc., etc. And you, you will still find restaurants in London, good restaurants. You know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not dissing the restaurants that do what I'm about to describe. But you will find restaurants that, uh, that will offer a menu which is pretty much the top of the pops, you know, the greatest hits of Italian cooking. And they will take dishes from every single one of the 20 regions. When you talk about superfoodies, um, there is a there is a new generation. I think there's a new appetite, um, pun intended, um, for regional Italian cooking. And people understand that you know that that the that the food of Tuscany is different uh, from the food of Sicily, which is different from the food of Puglia, which is different from the food of Veneto, and so on and so on and so on. And so you know you will find restaurants now that you know that specialise in a in a particular region, or even in a particular city. Uh, you know, which is what I've done through my career. So, you know, when I opened Polpo in 2009, it was, it was specifically the food of Venice and Veneto. Um, Bruto, which I opened two years ago, is specifically the food of Florence and Tuscany. And I think people understand now that Italy isn't actually a, a country. I know it sounds weird to say that, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's 20 countries. And, you know, it's a jigsaw puzzle. It's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle, but, you know, every region has its own traditions and its own sense of pride in, uh, in the food that it serves. Um, and I would say that, uh, you know, a city like Florence, um, represents itself, not just you know, as, as you mentioned with your 16 year old daughter going and, you know, being wowed by the architecture and by the art and so on. Um, Florentines have, of course, they have a sense of pride in their, in their Renaissance, uh, credentials, but they also have a sense of pride in terms of their food. Um, and you, you go to somewhere like Trattoria Sostanza, for example, uh, six tables, um, you know, 24 covers, two waiters, two chefs, and that's it. Uh, the menu never, ever, ever changes. It's, you know, it's a canteen environment. Um, it's been there for 150 years. Uh, but what they do is they, you know, they showcase their cultural heritage and they showcase their sense of Florentine authenticity through the food. And, you know, the, the sense of pride in, in that place, just to use that one place, Sostanza as an example, the sense of pride is astonishing. And it's, you know, it's a way that Florentines can... 
uh, connect with their past and connect with their culture and connect with their history and represent it through food. And yeah. I'd say it's, it's as important as Michelangelo or uh, Donatello, uh, you know, in any of the museums that you want to go to. It's so interesting. I totally agree with you. And I, you know, let's talk about Polpo very briefly. Um, you know, when you brought Polpo to the Brits, um, mm. you were bringing the, 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 the small plate aesthetic. Mm. You were t- bringing yeah. their manners, the manners of Venice to, mm. uh, uh, you know, to the high street, actually. Um, you know, it was a, a no bookings, just walk in, enjoy the kind of the Venetian vibe. And it was very much a high street experience um Mm. how can you bring that sort of taste aesthetic how can that possibly work by just sitting people in front of smaller plates and offering them a a menu that they may not have seen before it was a huge risk i um you know I, i spent a lot of time going to venice um since my first visit as a student in the mid to late 80s um you know, it got under my skin and, you know, I went back as often as I could. And it was only uh, on subsequent visits that, you know, that I, that I started to see these little wine bars um, that served little snacks, which are known in Venice as baccari. Um, and it was then that I started to get the idea that, yeah, I, I enjoyed that experience and Venetians enjoyed that experience of standing, usually standing, um, you know, that there are, there are very rarely seats in a baccaro. Um, and eating little tastes, little flavors, little sort of representations of the lagoon and Veneto and Venice and beyond. Um, and it was then that I thought, would this work in London? You know, this, this Venetian or aesthetic or you Brighton, know, London, indeed. Yes. Brighton? I'm not so sure. You know, it, I mean, it, it was a great place yeah, to go. It did very well it in did, Brighton. It did. Um, but ha- that's what I'm trying to work out. You know, what was the answer when you were asking yourself, would it work in London or Brighton? Before you saw it, how did you think it would translate? I always look to myself um, when it comes to restaurant ideas and what I think might work. And, and the question I ask myself is, well, if I like it, will there be other people that like it too? And the answer that I give myself is, well, yeah, there must be some other people that, that get it. Um, you know, I never try to second-guess um, opinion. and I, ne- I never try to second-guess what people will like. I just look to myself and I think, well, if I like it, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that other people will be like me and they will like it too. So when I say that Polpo was a risk, that's the risk I took. You know, I, I just sort of... I, I, it was it was a hunch that other people would would be like me. I wonder. I noticed that you have a drama background. You were a drama yes. teacher, weren't you? I was. Yeah, I was head of drama for four yeah, years. That's <laughs> right. And I remember talking to Rick Stein about the mm. theatre mm. of the restaurant. He was a yep. DJ, and he really loved bringing people into a different state of being. I wonder if this is what you do, that you create a theatrical experience so that there's a, uh, a transcendent experience. You take people into a space that really isn't Venice and isn't Florence, but has an essence of it enough for them to play the part. You know, when I walked mm. into Bruto yesterday, oh my 
god, it was amazing. It was just such fun. There's this vibe. There's so many people there. But it wasn't a trattoria. It wasn't like any experience I'd had in Florence. It was very much London people having lunch and eating mm, lovely food yeah. in, a, in a beautiful place. And I wonder if that's what you're doing. You're kind of like the puppet master, giving us all a little experience of of, of life through Russell's prism. Um, you've hit the nail completely on the head yeah it's um yeah it's it is theater it is uh, an experience it's not just food you know there are there are so many elements to creating a, a a great restaurant um you know i've said before and i'll say it again you know that my job as a restaurateur is to welcome people people in from the streets and to you know nourish them and restore them if you think about the you know the, the the meaning of the of the word restaurant and the meaning of the word restaurateur it's it's the french verb restaurer which which means to restore so my um philosophy i suppose is to is to you know is to take you for example jilly yesterday off the street to gently place you um, on a seat at a table um, to nourish you and to entertain you um, not in a you know a sort of uh, a, a gauche way but you know the entertainment is just the people around you and you know the experience um, and to make you feel better about yourself and the world by the time you leave two and a half hours later and then I will gently place you back on the street into your taxi or down to Farringdon Station for the Elizabeth Line or whatever. And you feel nourished and you feel like you, you know, you've had an experience that's, um, you know, that's, that's enriching uh, and, yes. and nourishing, but not just, ter- not, not, not just in terms of food. When I say nourishing, you know, it's, 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 I, 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 I don't want to sound sort of fluffy. And yeah, it, it, it is about making people feel better. And you do that. You do. You do that with food. You do that with wine. But you also do it with the environment. And I think you know the, the most important thing in a restaurant environment is people. You know, it's the it's the people that you know that you that you take in and sit down and feed. It's the uh, companions that you you sit down with your friends and so on. It's the staff that you interact with, um, and it's all about people. Yeah, my my background as a as a drama teacher, um, and you know, I, I spent a little bit of time directing as well. Um, so it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just education; it was it yes. was theatre yes. too, um, and that definitely informs my restaurants. Quite often um, commented upon uh, amongst my staff that um, when I when I sort of stand in a circle with them before the shift starts and go through the specials and talk about um, uh, the dishes that we you know that we have. Um, on the menu for those new members of staff and talk about other aspects of service and so on. At the end of the briefing, and this is, I didn't realise I was doing this, but this, this has been pointed out to me several times, at the end of the briefing, um, apparently, I quite often look at everybody, clap my hands together and say, okay, it's showtime. Yeah. You're the director. <laughs> I don't, it's, it, sounds, it sounds incredibly <laughs> cheesy, I'm sorry. <laughs> But yeah. yes, it is. It is yeah. a performance. Yeah. It is. And when, you know, when the curtain goes up, to you know, extend the metaphor, when the curtain goes up, for example, at 5.30 at Bruto, when, we open, when the kitchen opens and people are queuing outside and, or having drinks at the bar or having drinks uh, the, uh, at the external tables, you know, it feels like 
it feels like the beginning wonderful. of a show. And it's every night is a different mm. night. How, how absolutely wonderful. Of course. Let's go through some mm. of the, the food on the table because uh, sure. these are your food moments. And we'll start off with what you call cuddles. Yeah, so yeah. coccoli, uh, this is uh, one of the, um, the, the antipasti. Uh, yes. I mean, it's quite substantial. You know, it's, it's that tradition of street food. You pick it up with your fingers. Yeah. You don't use cutlery. Um, and they're deep fried dough balls. They are. So yeah. strachino, which is a raw uh, cow's milk, soft cheese with a lovely mm-hmm. sort of uh, sour uh, tang to it. Um, and then the prosciutto, which is, you know, has that lovely buttery, um, uh, quality and, um, and flavor with the, with the deep fried dough balls. You just stuff the cheese and the prosciutto into the split, um, dough ball and squash it together like a sandwich and eat it. And I, f- yeah, I first had it at a restaurant called I, uh, I um, in San Frediano, between San Frediano and, and Oltrano. And um, it was, yeah, it was just one of those moments when I thought, okay, I was looking for a signature dish for Bruto, and I thought, okay, got it and won. And so I was very fortunate that my um, senior sous chef, uh, Alan Williams, um, who was working in Bologna uh, pre-COVID, um, and then when everything shut down, he, um, he was still living in Bologna, didn't have a job because all the restaurants were closed and, um, just spent his time baking. And he made a, <coughs> a sourdough starter in Bologna in, uh, 2020. And then when I hired him, uh, the following year as my senior sous chef, he said, well, I, I brought this over in my hand luggage. The, you know, the, 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 the sourdough starter that he'd made the year before in Bologna. Um, can I, can I use it for the, um, the bread dough at Bruto? I said, yes, Alan, of course. And so we still use the same mother that was, that was, that was created, that was created three, three and a half years ago. So, it, so every, every single one of our, uh, cockley is, is made with the, with the mother from Alan's, uh, sourdough starter in Bologna in 2020. Wow, no, yeah. I'm really cross with myself for not choosing this one, but I had to have the anchovies. Tell me about the penny alla vodka. Why did you choose this as a second food moment? So I mentioned Sostanza, um, and, um, talked about Ibrindoloni. One of the other restaurants that I was introduced to um, quite early on in my um, visits to Florence was um, um, was a really raucous, chaotic um, place on the Ring Road, which sort of is on the outskirts of Florence. So it takes about 15, 20 minutes to walk there from, uh, from uh, the centre of Florence. And the restaurant's called Alla Vecchia Betola. Um, it's tiled on the floor, on the ceiling, and on the walls. Everything is a hard surface. So when I say cacophonous, I, I, oh I, I mean it literally. It's, it's impossible to have a conversation, but all it does is make you shout even louder. <clears throat> um, the, food's, the food's okay, um, it's, you know, it's not great. It's, you know, it's a canteen. You see at lunchtime, you'll see guys in high vis vests and hard hats, you know, so whereas in, in London, you know, these, these guys, the construction workers will go to a greasy spoon and have a bacon sandwich. Um, 
in Italy and in Florence in particular, these guys go to a you know proper restaurant and have a couple of courses with with a half a liter of of uh, Chianti. <laughs> and the first time I visited, um, I was told my, by my friend um, who introduced me to Alavecchia Vettola, you have to have the penny alla vodka. I said, sorry, what? What? It's, it's pasta with vodka? Are you crazy? He said, no, you have to have it. And of course, the vodka, you know, the vodka is just a, a, an ingredient which, um, which evaporates and dissipates. So you're, you're not eating pasta with 40% alcohol. <clears throat> it's, it's an ingredient that just enriches and binds the flavors together. The tomato and the chili, um, uh, onion, a uh, little bit of cream, garlic, parmesan, and it's just—it was a wonderful experience. And I thought, wow, um, I have to—I have to serve this at, at Bruto. And it was only afterwards that you know I did a bit of research and found that it was—it um, was a sort of 1970s and 1980s dinner party favourite. So <laughs> incredibly kitsch. Um, and then it sort of had a revival with Alavecchia Betola, and there were a couple of restaurants in New York as well. I think. Um, I think uh, Carbone also serves penny alla vodka, and it's it's one of their favourite, one of their most popular dishes as well. Um, and it's, it's yeah, it's, it's very popular at Bruto. And would those guys in the high vis vests um, be eating the penny alla vodka? Of course, absolutely, that's, yes. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Because yeah. while I was there yesterday at Bruto, I mean, it's literally off, just opposite Smithfield, and I was wondering if you know the kind of the market traders yeah. would go and have lunch at Bruto, and I couldn't imagine that they no, would. No, they absolutely wouldn't. In Italy, there's there's definitely a tradition of you know of, of going to a, a you know a, a proper restaurant. Even if, yeah, even if you're, you know, sort of digging up tarmac um, at at seven o'clock in the morning. But these guys I was thinking of were the guys who would be selling amazing meat. Yeah. And your third food moment is the Bistecca alla Fiorentina. And this is about the quality of meat. And I was just wondering Mm. whether the guys who are actually selling the quality of the meat would ever come to eat that kind of quality uh, in a place like... Bruto, because actually, by the time you're going to get a great big steak, T-bone steak on your plate, it's going to cost a fortune. Mm. And I know that you said that you really wanted to keep the costs low at yeah. Bruto. Mm. How can you get really good quality meat and persuade people who perhaps don't put a great value mm. on, you know, the real cost of food? How do we change that? Because that's the yeah. essence of Italian uh, culinary taste isn't it they understand they have a connection with the food they understand how to pay for it but also that doesn't cost that much Mm. so uh, with with the bistecca alla fiorentina um you know i always knew it was going to be a a high price item um it was going to be you know for people that you know wanted a a little bit of a blowout or uh, a little bit of theater a bit of an occasion and so it was important to me to have it on the menu um, as an option, but also to have 19 other dishes on the menu which weren't expensive, that were very affordable. But if you wanted to blow out and have this, in, you know, insanely delicious, I mean, we, we, we obviously we have to, you know, we have to get our meat um, uh, domestically. So um, we use a um, we use a 150 year old firm at Smithfield Market called Longcroft and Old. They get their meat from Aberdeenshire. Um, it comes down to Smithfield Market. Uh, they hang it for 30 days. They then deliver it to us in 15 
kilogram uh, uh, loins, or we go and collect it ourselves, which is quite fun. So, you know, walking across from Smithfield Market to Bruto with a 15 kilogram side of cow on your shoulder is, is, is quite something. And we butcher it ourselves in, in the restaurant. So, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of husbandry. There's a lot of expense. When it comes to us, it's already expensive. And yeah, we have, we have to, you know, charge a premium price for it. But yeah. I, I think at the moment it's, it's nine pounds fifty per 100 grams. Yeah. Which, which isn't, is, it's not a huge amount. But I think that's, it says much more about the true cost of food in Britain. Yes. That is an ongoing story. Yes. Let's, let's finish off with your final food moment, Scrubina. Now, I couldn't even think about going on to the Dolce after, you know, my two courses. How on earth do you get to a Dolce? You say, actually, you don't just have a Scrubina. So, Jilly, I, I, I agree with you completely. So, when it, when it comes to the fourth course of a traditional Italian uh, meal, the dolce, I, I can't face anything else. However, scrapino sort of covers the gap because it's very light. Um, it's l- mostly liquid. Um, it's, it has l- a lovely sharpness because of the lemon sorbet. Um, and as with most Italian desserts, it's all about the booze. <laughs> so Italians love their alcohol. You know, tiramisu is loaded with rum and marsala, um, you know, the classic Venetian um, uh, biscotti uh, dunked into Vinsanto is all about the Vinsanto. It's not about the biscuit. Um, and scrapino is, is just one of those lovely light desserts, three ingredients, lemon sorbet, vodka, prosecco, but it's all about the technique. So it's usually made table side in, in restaurants in, uh, in Italy. Um, and... It, it, yeah, it's it's about the you know the the combination of those three ingredients, and making it into you know something that's um, greater than the sum of its parts. And yeah. and so a scrapino for me is the perfect end to any meal. And it's about time, isn't it? Ultimately, you know, this wonderful sort of experience, this theatrical experience, this education of the real heart of, mm. of Italian food culture, and what you really need to really mm. make it go down very sweetly indeed is is time uh how can we learn how to lunch like the italians oh gosh i don't know um but they know how to lunch you know i i i mentioned the construction workers you know that go to um that go to alla vecchia bettola or um uh you know going back to venice there's a there's a restaurant in canareggio called uh, dalla marisa and Every single time I've eaten there at lunchtime, I'm literally shoulder to shoulder with construction workers. It's, it's like a canteen. I mean, the set menu, the three course set menu with uh, half a liter of wine and coffee included and water included is 17 euros. So, you know, you go to a greasy spoon and, and, you know, get a bacon sandwich and, uh, you know, a coffee and a donut to take away. It's the same price. And, and so, yeah, these, these construction workers, um, office workers know how to eat. You know, they always give themselves an hour and a half or two hours for lunch in the afternoon. And it's, it's a very different culture, but one that I absolutely adore. And this is why, you know, my businesses have always been about Italy and, and about creating that Italian philosophy in London and in the UK. Thanks for listening. Do rate and review the podcast if you like it over on Apple Podcasts and then head to my Substack to see what Russell has cooked up for us over on Extra Bites.